morning. So I didn't fall when I got up here, but there's still time. Don't worry. Um, super excited to be with you guys today. Uh, today is actually a pretty cool day. Uh, today is actually the day of Pentecost. And I've been thinking about that for a while because it's 50 days from the resurrection of Jesus. And so 10 days prior to today, the disciples were up in a room and they had been, um, had been up there praying for 10 days. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down for the first time. What, what, Christ, and the, or what Christ and the prophets have been talking about for all of history finally happened. The Holy Spirit came and indwelled in us. What an amazing day. And today is that day for 2019. It's the day of Pentecost, 50 days uh, from the death of Jesus. And so I want to pray real quick before we get started that, that God would meet us here, that God would change our lives and our hearts today, that he would be with those in Mazatlan, and that he would change lives and in those that went and in those that they're ministering to. If you can, just pray with me real quick. Dear God, we just thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you do not leave us uh, alone and out here in this world uh, without any help, but you have actually sent your helper to speak to our hearts and to give us words to speak. Oh God, I pray that I would be out of the way this morning and that your spirit would speak through me. I pray that um, you would also speak to the hearts of those that are here, that you would bring life change as a result of your Holy Spirit getting a hold of their lives. Thank you for this opportunity to share this morning. And I pray that you would bless it and that you would use it. In Jesus' name, amen. So a little bit about me. Uh, I work at HEB, and every time I go to a new store, I have the same, same problem every week or every time. Basically, I meet people, we get going, and about a month in, somebody comes up to me and they say, hey, are you, are you mad? <laughs> like, no, I'm not mad. I'm just kind of doing my thing. So they're like, well, everybody always thinks you're mad. And I was like, okay. I don't know. I even had a store leader that told me, he's like, hey, your, your eyebrows, man, you need to kind of lighten up a little bit. I, I don't know if it's the caffeine, because I've taken a lot of caffeine, but uh, they're always saying something about my eyebrows, maybe my beard. Um, but I kind of got curious, so I went back, and I looked at some of my baby pictures. And I, I don't know, you tell me what you think. I, I don't see it, but let's see it, Cody. I mean, he looks like a happy baby. I don't know. No, that's not me, obviously. Uh, but that's the way I feel, or that's the way everybody sees me. And so the reason I make, make light of that is because today is a serious topic. And I need you to know that the church and I come from a place of grace and a place of love. We want to come alongside anyone who is struggling with something like this. Um, and we also want you to know that the position of the church is the love of Jesus to everyone. We are in a series right now called Seven. 
And in that series, we went over how God hates uh, the prideful and those that lie. Well, today we see that God hates the hands that shed innocent blood. I think you could take that in many different directions. But I do believe that the 60 plus million unborn babies that have been murdered since 1973 would definitely qualify. The fact that we have legislated the legality of doing so is just, it's, it's crazy to me. Did you know that by the age of 45, one in four women will have had an abortion? One in four, that's 25%. So I'd be, I'd be a fool to think that, that we were exempt here this morning. And that's why I just want to preface and say that this is love and this is grace. And we're here because we love you. But we're also here because of the word of God. And so we're going to open that up and talk about that this morning. A couple more interesting facts. I always thought it was like the teenage girl that was having most abortions, but it, it's actually not. It's those from 20 to 24 is, has the highest. I think it's a little bit over 30%. But the next one's really interesting, that 60% of those women already have a kid. They already have a kid. And so... They've already done it once, and now this is their second or third. They're 20 years old, so they were probably a teen mom. And now they're trying to do it again. But this time, they, you know, the first time the, the boyfriend left or was abusive or, you know, whatever the story is, and they're like, I'm not going to do this alone again. I already have two jobs making minimum wage. Oh, yeah, the next stat is that 50% of them are underneath the poverty line. So these aren't people that are just, hey, I've got sky's the limit. They are struggling to survive. They already have one or two kids, and now another? I just can't handle it. Worldwide, I thought this was crazy. Worldwide, 40, over 43 million Abortions happen every year. 43 million. Boys and girls. That means 125,000 per day. Now this right here, this is a, a little girl by the name of Sabi. That's her... She was born at 23 weeks. She is the world's smallest surviving baby. When she was born, she was 8.6 ounces. You see how the hand is just as big. Now is a picture of her at five months. She is six pounds and two ounces. Happy little girl. Interesting is that Sabi, at 18 days from the moment she was conceived, she already had a heartbeat. At eight weeks, all organs were functioning well. Nine weeks, she had fingerprints. And at 12 weeks, she could smile. 
but abortions are legal in most states up until 20, if not 28 weeks in, during pregnancy. They're starting to kind of combat this a little bit. There are some states that have passed the heartbeat bill, which basically at six weeks, our modern technology can detect a heartbeat. So once that heartbeat is detected, you can no longer have an abortion in about 16 states. Alabama just passed a, a bill that says that abortion is kind of outlawed and a doctor that performs one is subject to prison time. Then you have the other direction, which is like New York and California have said that basically it's legal at any phase. California actually came out this past week and said, come on down. If you're in one of those states that doesn't offer abortion, you just come on to California. We'll take care of you. So I realize the divisiveness. We have states that differ. We have people in this room that differ. But I just want to remind us that there are events and beliefs in history that at the time they seemed okay. They seemed right. But now as we look back on them, they are appalling and we, sh we are ashamed of, of our ancestors. I feel like this is very similar. But again, I'm not here to, to convince anybody this morning. Instead, we're going to look at a few passages and we're just going to ask, why does that matter? Why does that matter to me? So the first one we're going to look at this morning is Psalm 139 and um, verses 13 through 18. Now, I just want to give you a heads up real quick. I've got three passages this morning. They're not small. Um, so I'm going to kind of, I'm going to hit the highlights. I'm not going to read this verbatim. If you want to, you can write these down, check them out when you get home. Okay, but just for the sake of time, um, we see here in 139 that it was God who put us together, who knit us in our mother's womb, says that, that we are remarkably and wondrously made, that, that his eyes are on us even when we were formless. That sounds like the unborn child to me. Even when we were formless, and it says that all of our days were planned out before a single one of them began. Verse 17 and 18, it says that his thoughts are precious or kind towards us, and that they are vast, they are more than the sand on the seashore. That's God's position on life and how much value each and every one of us have. That's his value that he gives. He actually went a step further. He said, we have so much value that he sent his son into the world to die for us so that we could have a restored relationship with him. That's how much he cares about all life, born and unborn. So again, first point this morning is that we are remarkably wonderfully made. I believe as you look at this scripture, you see that God's value of life, but again, why does that matter to me? 
And if I may, I'm, I'm talking to uh, the believers. So if we have visitors here, people that are not uh, Christians, that's okay. Listen to what we have. But this next section applies to, to the believers in the room. But first, this guy right here, his name is Richard Grinnell. Okay. He, uh, he's a U.S. ambassador to Germany. You know, he has a house in Germany, drives a German car on German streets, eats German food, bratwurst, stuff like that, right? Heck, he might even have a German shepherd. I don't know. But the minute he starts thinking and acting like a German and not acting on the behalf of the United States is when he stops being a good ambassador. That is his job. And so we see next in 2 Corinthians 5. Second Corinthians 5, actually, uh, I put 17 through 20 here. Verse 16 actually states, that we no longer think of anything after a worldly perspective. So we don't see things through a worldly perspective. In fact, um, as new believers, we are a new creation in Christ. And we have been reconciled and that Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20, it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. That's the next point. We are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. That's, you know, given we're in the age of grace, but that seems pretty weighty. He is making his appeal through you. That is your calling. That is your, you are an ambassador if you're a believer. And as an ambassador, it is, you know, we are in this culture. We live in Georgetown. We live in Texas. And we, we blend in. We go to the same places. We eat the same food. But the minute we start acting like our culture and not like our heavenly kingdom, we're not using those viewpoints, but rather we more fit in with this world is the minute we vacate being a good ambassador. And so that's, that's the call this morning. And, and this can happen in, in every part of life. You wonder about a topic or an issue, political or not. Uh, submit it to the authority of God and, and fall in line with what he says. That's, that's all that matters. And as good ambassadors, that's our, that's our calling. So again, kind of in summary, as believers and ambassadors, we allow the word of God to change us. We no longer have the right to our own opinions or belief systems, but rather we adhere to the belief and value that God has. Next, kind of the next point, or the big idea of today is, as ambassadors and representatives of God, we live out the love of Christ 
and defend the sanctity of all life. Because we talk about being pro-life, but what is pro-life? You know, we, we tell people not to have an abortion. We put a sticker on the back of our car and we say, that's how, that's how I vote. Is that really doing it? Is that really pro-life? I think that we're going to see what pro-life is here in John 4. Uh, in John 4, many of you know this story. It's the, um, it's the woman at the well. And um, Jesus is, is leaving uh, Judea, Jerusalem, and, and he's going into Galilee. And as he's going, he can go around Samaria, which is what a lot of Jews do because they don't really associate um, but instead, he's about his father's business, so he goes right through Samaria. And as he's there, he stops off at this well, and the disciples go into town. As they're in town, a woman comes up. He's like, hey, can, can I have a drink? And she's just floored. She's like, what? You, talk, you talking to me? Um, don't you know I'm a Samaritan woman? You're like a Jewish guy, rabbi, something. Like, we don't talk. He's like, if you knew who it was that was talking to you, you would ask him, and he would give you water that flows to eternal life. And she's like, well, give me some of that. Give me some of that water. Are you saying that you're greater than Jacob? He said, everybody who comes to this well and drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again, but the water that I give will spring up in you as a well of life unto eternal life. And again, she asked for that water, and, and he says, you know what, go, go call your husband and come back. And, and she says, you know, I don't have a husband. He says, I know you had five, and the guy you live with now is not... He's not your husband. He's like, oh, I see. Kind of hit her to the heart, right? Uh, He's like, oh, I see you're a prophet. And then she starts asking him about theological questions, like where are we supposed to worship? And then Jesus gets to her and he says, hey, listen, uh, the true worshipers are going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And then... She says, you know, when the Messiah comes, he's going to explain all these things to us. He said, I, the one I'm talking to, am he. He very plainly told her exactly who he was. He didn't give her some parable that made it confusing to understand. He told her, I am the Messiah. And about that time, disciples come back. She runs off, leaving her water pot probably looking like a crazy woman, right? She runs into a town, and, and again, just to preface this woman, um, she's a Samaritan. Not only that, but it's kind of uh, said that they would go get water in the morning or in the evening because it's, you know, it's not as hot. She's in the middle of the day, and it's like, why is she there? Well, typically it's believed that She's an outcast. She doesn't want to hang out with, with all the women that are going in the morning because they're gossiping about her. They're talking bad about her. 
So she's kind of twice removed. She is an outcast of the outcast. She is the least of these, so to speak. So she's running into town. She comes into town, and she's like, listen, listen. Uh, I, I talked to this man. His name's Jesus. I, I think he might be the Messiah. He told me all the things that I've ever done. He told me this and that. And, it, and she gives them her testimony. And then she brings them back to Jesus. When she gets back to Jesus, it says that, that they, they, some believed because of some of the words that she said. But then afterwards... It said that they believed because of what Jesus said, no longer because of the testimony of the woman. As you go on in that last verse in 42, yeah, that's what it says. It says, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. And again, just pointing out the fact that he is revealing this very big news to the outcast of the outcast. This is not to the Pharisees in Jerusalem at the temple. This is the people that all Jews despise. You know, that woman is, is going to the well and she is looking for satisfaction. And today, kind of like the story of the the girl earlier that you know she has a couple kids she's working two jobs at minimum wage and she just can't figure out how to get this done and so she has an abortion Jesus goes to her he's not pro-life and says bad right he says come with me I know where you can get water that will spring up in you. He goes to her. He doesn't make her come to him. That's the message of today. To be pro-life is not to put a sticker on your car, but rather to go to those who are hurting. That's our next point. Pro-life is more than just anti-abortion. It is loving others wherever they are and helping in their hurting. So real quick, I just have a couple, couple stories for you guys and we'll be done. So um, my wife helps out with Young Lives, which is a ministry to teen moms. Uh, I was hoping that she was going to be here today, but she's actually at camp. So what that ministry does is, uh, if you're familiar with Young Life in general, they kind of have this club, or it's kind of like a youth night, but to people that don't go to church. And so they go after the furthermost kids. And with Young Lives, they have these clubs every month. Um, they feed them, they hang out with them, they play games and have a great time. But then summer comes, and they get these girls to go to camp. They go to camp, and at camp, they, they get the opportunity to meet Jesus. They, my wife is actually a part of the, the children's team that's uh, watching all the babies and the kids. 
because these moms don't have anybody to watch their kids while they go. So my wife is uh, hanging out with little kids this week. Um, but at this camp, this is, when, this is when these girls meet Jesus. There's a girl, I don't know if she's there this time, but there's a girl that was actually a teenage mom who grew up in the foster care system, was rejected by her parents super early on, right? Became a teen mom, kind of uh, her adoptive family said, this ain't working out at that point. And so she's on her own. She goes to a maternity home that helped take care of her and Young Life steps in and loves on her and tells her about Jesus. Now that girl is, is like a junior leader she has two children, and she's married. What uh, a changing of her story. The odds are that she would repeat the same process that her mom did. And yet people stepped into that hurting. And they pulled her out. And since then, she's had the opportunity to run back and tell people what Jesus has done. I was talking to my father-in-law a couple nights ago, and we're just kind of talking about how actions today, loving somebody today, has effects that last. And so he was saying his mother didn't grow up in a Christian home. But finally, one day, some some lady asked her when she was a child, "Hey, do you want to you want to go to church?" Started taking this little girl to church. She kept on through the years, and finally, Andy's mom put her trust in Jesus. As a result of that, Andy grew up in a Christian home, which means my wife grew up in a Christian home, which means my kids are growing up in a Christian home. That lady, who Andy doesn't even know her name, had effects that lasted over a hundred years. That's huge. Who around you today can you go love on that's going to have a change for a hundred years? When they stepped into that girl's life and young lives, that's going to last because her children are not going to repeat the same mistakes. That's us stepping in and loving the Samaritan woman, even if they don't fit in or look like us. Even if they had an abortion. That's who we're called to love. Jesus loved her. He loved the woman caught in the act of adultery, right? He loved the leper. He loved Zacchaeus. He loves all those that have been rejected by everybody around him. So who around us do we have? If the world is rejected, how are we loving the least of these? Last story I have this morning is a guy by the name of Tony Carnes. He, uh, he started a ministry, or he's actually a pastor, and he was doing a sermon series. And he came to Orphan. So he's going to do some research. So he goes out to CPS, and he starts doing some research. And he sees that, um, he asks him, like, what, what can I do? What can the church do? And they just pretty much laugh at him. They're like, well, it's so big, you really can't do anything. I mean, 
you can get certified. They kind of told him something, blew him off, really. Um, and then he goes to a, a youth court judge. He goes and talks to that judge, and the judge is like, well, you know what, here's what we'll do. I'll get everybody to come back. We'll have another meeting, and at that meeting, you know, we'll, we'll brainstorm, see what we can do. So they have this meeting, and um, he's like, what, what can I do? The woman says, well, i got a nine-year-old girl that's sitting in a hospital room right now because there's not a family that will take her. He said, well, I'll take her. Give me the address. I'll go get her right now. He's like, no, no, you can't. See, you're not, you're not certified. You haven't gone through all that stuff, so you can't go take her. Well, come on. There's got to be a better way, right? Just let, give me the address. I'll go. Well, it's going to take nine months. Nine months? This is going to be forever. Like, this is unacceptable. This little girl is in a hospital room. Let me go. Get her. I said, okay, well, hold on. Um, if I got 50 families, would that be enough to, to take care of all the foster kids here in this county? Said, no. That would be a lot of help, but that wouldn't. So well, if I get 100 families, would that make it, make it? If you got 100 families, all the children in this county would be cared for. I'm going to go get you 100 families. And the guy didn't know anything. He didn't know all the steps and everything, but he said, I'm going to go figure this out. He went back to his church. He told his church, hey, I'm going to get licensed and... There it is, if you want to do it. Since then, he started a ministry called Rescue 100. Um, and the 100 is the numerical.org is their website you can check out. But he uh, essentially said, I'm going to go get 100 families. Since, I believe it was 2014, they have helped facilitate speeding up that process, bringing that down from nine months to just a month or two so that families in Mississippi can become foster parents. They've, done about, they've licensed about 300 to 350 families since then. All because a man said, I care. You know, he's not really special. He just stood up and he said, let's do this. And that's pro-life. Pro-life isn't just the unborn, although... That's extremely important, and that's what we're standing for. But how do we combat against abortion? We combat against abortion by offering those moms help before they have this child, by stepping into girls' lives like at Young Lives. Um, Young Life also has middle school ministry called Wildlife, stepping into their lives before they're even at that point showing them the love of Jesus to change decision-making that's about to happen, right? There's this crazy idea which uh, another guy is doing. He's, he's fostering teen moms because he's also, he's changing two different generations. He's teaching that mom how to parent. It's just, it's remarkable. But that is pro-life. To stand and say, don't do that. It's just finger-pointing, right? 
But Jesus went to those people. So uh, you have a little flyer in there this morning. These are ways, these are things that I thought of. Talking to my wife, talking to a couple people, we thought of a couple things. You've got things. You can do those things. It doesn't have to be these. I was looking at the Pregnancy Help Center. It's actually, uh, you know, pro-life. They're, you know, they're going to talk about abortion for informational purposes, but they are going to um, almost disciple these women as they're having kids and even into parenting, which is a pretty amazing ministry. Uh, you have the girls and Boys and Girls Club. The reason that one matters is because, again, it starts early. Uh, my wife and I are foster parents, and so whenever we started doing that, we watched this video, and he talks about how all it takes is one caring adult to change the trajectory of a, of a kid's life. All it takes is one caring adult. And you can volunteer at Boys and Girls Club, look into that little kid's eyes and show them that they matter. That makes a difference. Again, Young Life and Wildlife. I put my wife's name on there. Uh, there's definitely more contacts to get you in uh, that you can reach out to. But uh, if you're interested, you can reach out to us there. Young Life is to the high school. Uh, right now, they are at camp in Colorado having a blast and, and finding Jesus. And then Wildlife, hopefully we're starting in the fall and it's going to be essentially Young Life, but for middle schoolers. And we'll pick a middle school here in town. And then we'll go enter their lives, meet them where they're at, tell them about Jesus. Young Lives, as I said earlier, is a ministry to teen moms. If you're interested in Young Lives, um, I can give you an email address you can contact. It's lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N, at georgetown.younglife.org. Next, we got Kirsten Mazur. She's actually on our Mazatlan uh, trip right now. And she goes to this apartment complex here in town and, you know, holds little, little events for the, for the kids there and, and gets to know them. And another great way, because all, all you're doing is looking at that child and telling them that they are loved, that they matter. Because you might be the only one to do that. And then I, I mentioned some, like, if you want to jump off the cliff, right? Um, mentioned the Bear Foundation, which is who we are certified through. And I also put on their Arrow, um, which is another foster agency. You don't have to foster. You can do respite, which is caring for one of those kids for a weekend, or babysit, which is watching them for a couple hours. Um, there's all sorts of ways that you can help. But ultimately, the best way to help is to be moms and dads and be active in those kids' lives. Change, uh, change the trajectory of those lives and, and invite their, their friends into that. Be willing to show them what a stable family looks like. So again, this is my list of things. You've got your own. Um, you don't have to check one of these boxes. You don't have to do anything today to prove that you love the Samaritan woman. That's between you and God, right? What is, what is our next step today? Let's pray.
Dear God, we just thank you again for this time. Honored and privileged to share your word with your people. I just pray that that we would get up and step out of the comfort and into the trenches of those that are hurting around us. Because ultimately, God, you stepped out of heaven to a hurting people, and you gave us that, and that is what we are called to do. Thank you again for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.